Welcome to Mamas in Training, a podcast that gives new moms guidance and community from moms who have been there. I'm Jessica Lorian, a mama in training myself, so let's learn together all about this thing called motherhood. Later on, I was able to say to my husband, that's the only picture we'll have of all four of us. That's, that's the only ones that will ever exist. Mm. We were all four together. It doesn't matter when it occurs, and there's a part of you that goes, maybe maybe losing them that early was a blessing to have had less time to be attached, but there's, there's, no, there's no rational timeline on love. This week is very special because I'm bringing back a guest from the first season of what was the Pumping Podcast, Mama Tara Snyder. Before we begin, I want to give you a trigger warning because this is a hard episode to listen to. We're talking about loss. However, there is a positive rainbow on the other side of this episode, so I encourage you to listen. But if it's not for you at this time, just click on to the next one. Tara is the mom to an adorable little toddler, but recently she experienced miscarriage. It was really important for her and to myself to have her share her story. So if any of you out there have experienced this, you know that you're not alone. So I am so pleased to reintroduce you to Tara Snyder. It is a privilege to sit down with this amazing woman from episode 14, entitled Mamas in Academia. We sat down with Tara and two other professors from the University of Central Florida to talk about Moms in Academia. And I wanted to bring her back for a very special episode today. So thank you so much, Tara, for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jessica. Thank you for your vulnerability. Absolutely. It's, it's something you, you never want to find yourself in this group. And if you ever do find yourself in this group, and, and I suspect the moms who are continuing to listen on to this episode have probably found themselves in this group, if they're, if they're ready to listen to this, it's, it's basically to know that you're not damaged, you're not alone and while that that ache in your heart's never gonna completely heal at least on this side of heaven in in my personal Mm -hmm. view that knowing that there are other people who've been there does somehow make it a little bit easier to bear and knowing that there is someone else who feels that same way that you felt and and just says i'm here i understand I can't make it better. Nobody can, but I'm I'm here for you. I'm I'm here to let you know that it's happened to me too. It just does give some sense of reassurance when you're in the midst. Yeah, absolutely. It's really empowering when women do that because it's something that nobody should have to go through. But unfortunately, it's something I don't know what the percentage is. I will say just on my episode, and I've interviewed upwards of 60 people now. I would probably venture to guess about 80% of them have experienced miscarriage. So at what point did you decide it was time to try for another? So he was born in 2017 and really by, I'd say by 2019, I, I personally was thinking, you know, I don't want there to be a huge gap between children, I'd still like to have another child. My husband and I had to come to looking at things in the same view 
Mm-hmm. That didn't happen right away. So we didn't really actively start trying until 2020. And that's, of course, when, you know, as unfortunately, as women get older, our fertility does diminish. And it's, it's kind of like, all right, I'm already in an older mom, you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> OB world, they'll term you as a geriatric pregnancy once you're past 35. So, I mean, I was already a geriatric pregnancy the first time around. So, you know, going into 2020, that's when, unfortunately, we discovered that we were not being successful immediately and went to a reproductive endocrinologist and was di- diagnosed with some signs of diminished ovarian reserve, which, if, if listeners are not familiar with it, basically means that there's a limited supply of eggs left but they can't say exactly how many because the number that they use to um, diagnose that, the AMH level, indicates how many eggs there are, I think, in about like six months from the time that that's taken. So it's looking at a future date, so it can't really tell how many there are in the interim. But when the number gets low, mine was 0.44, it's not good. Basically, once you get below one, the, the chances are going down significantly and so it kind of took you know a while for my husband and i to decide okay what do we want to do with this information one thing became pretty clear right off the bat for us was that in vitro which is what frequently is suggested when you have things like age as a factor and diminished variant reserve as a factor was really not going to be possible because financially we simply could not handle it And, you know, there's insurance won't cover that bare minimum. And this can vary by area, depending on where people are listening. But bare minimum costs, you're looking at probably anywhere from $12,000 to $20,000 to try once. And that may not even be successful. And, And given how they go through the process to stimulate the body to get ready for in vitro, when you're already someone with diminished ovarian reserve, the likelihood that you're going to be able to stimulate the number of eggs they need to collect to even have a successful harvest, it's, you know, it's not good. Your chances are not good to get what they need even in that one shot. So you've spent maybe $20,000 on literally nothing except... Yeah a lot of medication and kind of making yourself go crazy with the hormone levels that, that the medications are going to send you through. So we did figure out pretty quickly that was not going to work. And we were asking, you know, well, is there something not as intense as that, anything that we can try? And so we were given the suggestion of trying a medicated cycle with timed intercourse to, you know, to do a, a few cycles of that before the doctor would say we need to do something more aggressive. And of course, you know, behind the scenes, we we're kind of saying we're not interested in the more aggressive, not only from a, a financial standpoint, but, you know, even some issues we had with possibly the, you know, how, how, it, how the embryos created and us trying to reconcile that with our own personal belief system, not against anybody doing that, but just for us. So we were thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe we try this medication with, you know, the, the TI, as they call it, and, and see what happens. So we finally decided we would try that. And that was in June that we decided we would try it. So we had the diagnosis in March. It took us a while to kind of decide what we wanted to do and be okay with it. Also knowing that the medication for 
for this because it involved some shots of gonal F, which it helps stimulate growth of the of the egg once it's once mm-hmm. the generated and released. So that was also not going to be covered by insurance. So that medication alone, that and also a trigger shot, as they would say, to make sure that the eggs released within a certain time, you know, ended up being around $1,000 for one month. So that gives you an idea of the cost. And, and that's with getting discounts from specific pharmacies designed for people dealing with fertility issues that have set a certain price with, you know, this particular reproductive endocrinologist. So we decided, okay, we're going to do it. I'll give myself the shots. And of course, that makes you a little loopy because hormones are, you know, raging in a much more concentrated format. And, you know, we were overjoyed to discover that we had been successful on the first try. And the reproductive endocrinologist was actually kind of shocked that it worked the first time for us. So, I mean, that's, you know, we discover that we're successful and, you know, once, once they, you get the positive pregnancy test, they bring you in for blood work to check and see if your HCG level is rising. So I went in for the first check on that. And then they make you come back two days later to make sure it's doubled. Had I was, and this is all part of kind of leading up to what eventually happened. I was having a little bit of spotting that week. And of course, you know, there's a part in your brain that freaks out and is like, I shouldn't, there shouldn't be anything coming out down there. Uh, a friend here is a lifeline for me and kind of part of my inspiration for, for talking in the podcast. You know, I was texting her, I was sending her pictures of things because she had been through two miscarriages herself and was pregnant at that time. But she was saying, you know, her first successful pregnancy, and she also had dealt with a lot of infertility that she had spotting, that it could be normal despite the fact that it doesn't seem like it. And so it allayed my fears, you know, for a little bit. And we had like a really joyous weekend away for our um, 10th wedding anniversary. And we came back from that. And like later that, that week after we were back, we even took pictures together as a family. And one of the pictures that we took, I had taken the pregnancy test. And I was, you know, we took a picture with it and we had thought we were going to use that to announce the pregnancy to family and friends. So that was on a Friday. And late, like I felt very tired that Friday night, a little bit dizzy, but you know, it's also Florida and it was hot and it was July and we had been outside for a while. And so I just kind of chalked it up to that. It was fairly early on in the pregnancy. So that then on Saturday, I woke up and I was having some spotting again. And, you know, the the previous week when I'd had the spotting, they said, you know, go on pelvic rest, which means, you know, no lifting, no activities that really engage that area. And so I basically spent kind of all of Saturday just sitting in a chair and thinking, I'm I'm dealing with this again. I, I checked in with the with the RE's office and they said, you know, unless it becomes heavier, you know, starts filling a pad, it's not something we're really going to worry about yet. It, you know, could be normal. I mean, they won't guarantee that it's normal. But so that's that's where my mind was thinking, okay, you know, it's just happening again. I was just trying to be calm and relax and take it easy that day. And I woke up around just after midnight, so on early Sunday morning, 
And I went to the bathroom and I turned on the light because I thought, okay, this is this is going to tell me when I go to the bathroom if I, you know, wipe and there's more blood, then I need to be concerned. And so I went and now the blood was bright red, which was another indication of a problem. And there was more of it. And so I woke my husband up and I said, I'm going to the hospital. There's more blood. It's bright red. This is what they said I should do. If reasons and to make sure that if I needed to get a Rogam shot, which is to keep you from rejecting a pregnancy in case the baby's blood type and your blood type aren't the same, that I that I would be able to get that from an ER, you know, during off hours. So he, there was no choice. He couldn't come with me because not only because we had a sleeping toddler in the other room, but also because of COVID protocols, he wouldn't have been allowed to come in with me anyway. So I had no choice but to take myself to the hospital. So, you know, I get to the hospital, of course, it's the wee hours of the morning and I'm explaining to them what's going on. So, you know, they, they take me back right away and they, the first thing they wanted me to do was have, do a pregnancy test, you know, just a urine test. And while I'm trying to do that, this, and this is going to get graphic and I'm sorry for the listeners who might be a little squeamish, but you know, there's like streams of blood coming out and I'm, I, I was praying very hard that everything would be okay, but there was also that part of my brain that's like, I shouldn't be seeing streams of blood. This right. is like, something is wrong. Um, so, you know, the next, <laughs> I can't give you a, like a break a detailed breakdown of every moment of the next hours, but I basically spent the whole night in the hospital and there are flashes in my mind of particularly bad images of waiting for someone to check the results. They wanted to do an ultrasound to see what they could see, but before they even came back to do the ultrasound, the the ER doctor, you know, came to talk with me and he said, if we went and they took and they had taken blood because they were looking for you know hcg levels in the blood and things like that and he came in and said if we just went by the urine test we would say you're not pregnant because it was negative but the the blood test came back and your level was at four and basically in terms of what they look for for pregnancy anything under five is considered not pregnant but i said i know the level was at 70 like a a week, you know, over a week ago. So, you know, that's when it started to sink into my mind that the pregnancy is gone. But I still had to go through the ultrasound and I had to like go to the bathroom before they would do the ultrasound. And I have one very visceral image that sometimes flashes into my mind that I try to push out periodically of just blood. Just, Mm -hmm. I it like I can see myself on the toilet in the bathroom just blood and you know there's still that tiny hope thinking is there any possibility it's still there and then having to (laughs) lay there in the room by myself waiting you know for them to get a hold of the reproductive endocrinologist's office to talk to somebody on duty to ask whether they should give me a full rogam shot or a mini shot before they send me on my way, you know, seeing paperwork that says inevitable miscarriage as the the diagnosis, having to call my husband and tell him, you know, what the result was and that basically the the baby's gone. You know, they couldn't see anything in the ultrasound. There's nothing left. There's nothing there to see because at at, a, at about 5 weeks, which is what I was, 5 weeks, 2 days, I believe at that point. 
at, at the earliest ultrasounds might only see a gestational sac. They're not really going to see a baby no matter what. Oh, they weren't seeing anything. And I just, you know, I had to ask them. I said, could you please get me? I said, could I have some ginger ale or some water? You know, I'm so thirsty and I feel sick. And they brought like the little tiny box of, of tissue. And I was supposed to be wearing my mask, but I had to keep taking it down to cry. <laughs> blow my nose and you know bless the nurses they didn't say anything because I just I couldn't yeah function in that moment and 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 I'm you know the listeners won't be seeing this but Jessica can see what's happening to my eyes as I kind of relive some of this and you know I I was reading my bible app I was listening to verses to to try to give me a sense of peace and I think in 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 some ways it did but also that just that sense of loss a loss that I didn't want, that I didn't know how deeply could affect me, that started settling in. And yet there was still a part of my mind that's like, you ha- you're supposed to work on Tuesday teaching online. You're going to need to cancel. And things that popped into my mind of things that I had to do. That to-do list, yeah. Right. Like, you started a baby registry. You need to cancel it. Like, oh, gosh, yeah. you know, those kinds of, like having to text the the people that I was supposed to work for the next week and just... I couldn't even bring myself to write miscarriage. I just said, I've had a major medical trauma. I am so sorry. I am not going to be able to teach for you. I wanted to let you know. And I literally was doing this as I left the hospital because there wasn't much turnaround time and I didn't want them to be inconvenienced. Oh, gosh. That's, that's, your mind's not rational. I felt like a failure because... You know, there, there's the part of your brain that goes, what did I do wrong? Did I push myself too hard by trying to go take those pictures? And then like the pictures, I, that was another message that I sent as I was leaving the hospital to our friend who'd taken the pictures. I said, when you put up the pictures, can you please not put up any of the ones with the pregnancy test? I said, we've just lost the pregnancy. I can't bear to look at them. I said, maybe you could save them because someday I might want to see them if you're okay with that, please don't delete them, but I just can't look at them. Yeah. Um, and later on, you know, when she had put up some of the pictures from the photo shoot, and we were all so happy. It was mostly supposed to be a photo shoot of my husband and I for our 10th anniversary, but, you know, when you have a toddler, you don't always have the luxury of putting them somewhere else. <laughs> He's very photogenic, and I love looking at him. <laughs> but, you know, there was a picture of my husband and I swinging Robbie between us, and I, this was later on, I was able to say to my husband, that's the only picture we'll have of all four of us. That's, that's the only ones that will ever exist. Mm. We were all four together. It doesn't matter when it occurs. If you get the positive pregnancy test and you go to have the blood draw and like two days later you have the next blood draw and it's not going up, you already know it's going to be called a chemical pregnancy which just feels like a slap in the face to call it that instead of a a loss and there's a part of you that goes maybe maybe losing them that early was a blessing to have had less time to be attached but there's there's no there's no rational timeline on love i wanted to have something to always it's not that i will ever forget that child because i won't but I wanted something visceral so that I could always know that that, that baby had been real, that pregnancy had been real. Because when I was 
you know, you're dealing with grief and it has all its stages and anger and I threw away the pregnancy test because I didn't want to be reminded of them. I, I ordered a, an angel bear from Vermont <laughs> that makes these beautiful bears and they happen to have one that was an angel. And I thought that's, that's appropriate. That's what I want. So I ordered the, the angel bear and I wrote and, you know, set it up like it was a gift, even though it was a gift for me and said, you know, in, in remembrance and memory of our, our baby and July 26th, um, 2020, you know, the day that they were gone. I love what you said. There's no timeline on love and connection. It's so beautifully put. And I know that in every stage of some sort of a trauma, your mind does run in so many different directions. But the last thing that I want to really make sure that anybody who's listening who has recently gone through this, or even if you went through it years ago and it's still hard to to dive into, your experience is valuable. Your experience is important to share. And your experience is 100% yours. And no matter what anyone else has gone through, that doesn't diminish it at all. And I know, I mean, I know people who have gotten the pregnancy test and lost the child a week. I know somebody who lost their child the week before he was about to be due and the hospital bags were packed and everything in between. And so, yes, of course, you know, there's that timeline of three, three months that's suggested to wait. But at the end of the day, just follow what's best for you. And when you want to share that news with people and how it's best for you to handle those different things. And the most important thing is your experience was valuable and your experience was just as valuable as anyone else's. And loss, no matter what form it comes in, is hard. Mm -hmm. And it's important to go through it and to take the time to grieve. And that's why I was so grateful that you wanted to share with us because it's going to be painful no matter when you're experiencing it or when you're going back through it. So I just hope that hearing your story has helped some other people know that they're not alone. I mean, this is not talked about and I don't want it to be muted. Miscarriage should be talked about just as much as anything else is because then people don't feel ashamed. It has nothing to do with you. It's not in your hands. It's not in your control. And, and my husband said, you know, for him, it really brought home the fact how much he did want the child to have it pulled away like that. I also wanted to mention a book called A Grace Disguised. And I, I was trying to see if I could see it in my office here. It's somewhere. And it, it was written by a man who lost three generations of his family in a single moment in a car accident. Wow. But it's exploring loss and grief and how... That is a universal thing, even if how it manifests may not, you know, be common, that all of us will experience loss, all of us will experience grief, and we can't compare what happened. It is unique, but that the feelings are universal and kind of how he worked through it. It was helpful 
as I read the pieces and, you know, once again, connected with that universal sense of loss and what do you do to live your life past that moment? Yeah, it gave you like a tool to focus on to sort of what is the next step to help me get through this. I'll put that link to the book and the author in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check it out, they can there. Well, can you finish off our story telling us the good news? Yeah, so I think another thing besides time and sharing and being able to be there for other people, you know, I've, I've actually now been the person on the other end of the text. But another thing I think that has really helped us is that so in the cycle that happened kind of as a result right after the miscarriage, we missed the windows to do medication. So we were we were very shocked to discover we were pregnant again in the cycle right after the miscarriage. I guess that that's also another silver lining that comes out of that there is some I don't know if it's anecdotal or not fully vetted research, but that shows women tend to be more fertile after a loss. Mm. So (laughs) someone who had been diagnosed with, you know, signs of diminished ovarian reserve and not given very good odds for getting pregnant, even with medication intervention, here we are pregnant without any intervention. Well, God's intervention in in, you look at it, but yeah, have that faith. Don't let that faith die. No. And so then, you know, we're calling up the reproductive endocrinologist. We're, we're pregnant. <laughs> I'm in for blood. And they were like, and you didn't do any med. I'm like, no, 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 we didn't do any medication. So then being, you know, making it to the same point that we made it with the last one and being like, okay, we, we made it past the point of the last pregnancy. And then we made it to the first early scan and saw the little tiny flickering heartbeat. And then made it to the next, they did another scan two weeks later and to see, oh yes, there has been development. And now there's a tiny little arm waving at us and see, yes, it has continued to grow and the heart rate is strong and, you know, taking the, the, the genetic testing and everything's coming up low risk and looking good. And so that's the, the positive, the rainbow after the storm that we do have our, our rainbow baby on board and, and it's a little boy. <laughs> but ha- having that rainbow has made it, I think, easier in some ways to face some of the pain of what came before and to also know that, you know, there's, there's somebody waiting to meet me someday who'll run up to me and say, Mommy, I've, I've missed you. I can't, I'm so happy to see you. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I, I know that's still to come and that I'm going to have two little boys running around (laughs) 2021 that rainbow has has helped our hearts to heal oh it's just beautiful i love the way that you just said that you're making me cry oh (laughs) we both are we you know good thing we're not wearing mascara because woo exactly (laughs) yeah that's just stunning i think i think too i want to encourage women if you want to be a mom, if you are a mom and you want to be a mom again, just don't lose the faith. I've seen this happen so many times, and I know it's easier said than done. Here I am, the ignorant non-mama, but we have a family friend who they tried for seven years. They went through all the things. They, they spent all the money, and they gave up, and then they just went ahead and had sex, and whoop, 
she got pregnant. Yeah. And now just recently she had her second. So I think just don't lose the faith, be kind to Mm -hmm. yourself. And if you need to give yourself that moment of pause or that break, you know, don't, don't have the stress come into it. Cause I don't think that that helps, but you are living proof that you went through the steps that you needed to take, but then without the medical steps, it happened. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a beautiful God wink. And that's a beautiful message that, that we can all take to, to keep that faith and mm-hmm. keep it strong. But I just don't want the women who know that they're destined to be a mom to give up on it because of what the medical world says or what they might be experiencing. You just never know. The miracle of life is that. And, you know, there there are people who may realize that their path to being a mom is adoption. Yes. Maybe that may be the answer. That's the child that's waiting for them. There are, you know, but I, I think, as you said, to not give up, but it's also okay to change what you want. So exactly. if you're on that path and you realize I can't keep doing this pattern of things, it's it's stressing me out. It's taking my health and my joy and the focus in life right now. Because I've seen people in some of these these groups that I'm in online who literally their relationship has fallen apart. So right. yeah, that's you we, have to it focus can't on become yeah, it can't become that, I think. So there, there is hope. There is a rainbow after the storm. And if you're still in the storm, that's okay. You don't, nobody, nobody can tell you when it's time to come out of the storm. Know that there are sisters who will sit in the storm with you because they know, they know where you've been. And I think that's another great thing that has come out of me sharing my story publicly is how many women either commented on it or contacted me behind the scenes to say, yes, that was also me. I'm sure anyone who's listening, if you want to reach out to Tara, all of her information to get in touch will be in the show notes. Cause I think that's the most important thing is finding somebody or finding a group of people to be on the other end of that text, like you mentioned, and to answer that call. We can only lift each other up. That's all we can do. Mm-hmm. And we're starting by by sharing your story like you did today. So I'm so grateful for you, Tara. And I know many, many people listening will be as well. And I hope that this helps them. What is something that you'd like to tell your children now for when they're 18? We'll be so excited to share with Mark. That's the, that's the new one who's on board, who's actually named after my brother-in-law who died of brain cancer. So it's beautiful to him, but how, how desperately he is loved, how much he is wanted and that I'm I'm will be so happy to have watched he and Robbie grow up as brothers together and love and care for one another and with both of them that you you know you have a sibling who's waiting for you in heaven someday and you know that's going to be the the joyful part of that is that you'll get to meet that other sibling who didn't get to share that time with you on earth and that love on earth but who knows and who will be there for you one day. If you're looking for more episodes to comfort you regarding loss, miscarriage, and infertility, you can check out episode 10 entitled Loss and Overcoming Birth Complications with Paige Copel. And if you're experiencing infertility, you can check out episode 19 entitled Infertility, You Are Not Alone with Bree Chud, where she shares her story. I hope you find some comfort in these episodes and know that you truly are not alone. 
If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.